Our exhortation is going to be brought to us this morning by Brother Pat Hamilton. His subject is, Hold Fast to That Which is Good. And he has, he's asked that I read John chapter 17. It's an opening reading. John 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I, which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto men which thou gavest me out of the world, Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and all thine are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is, none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them, I have declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's now give our attention to Brother Pat Hamilton.
Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, young people, and friends of God's truth. I have to agree with Brother Lynn this morning when he was talking about how the different classes and exhortations have complemented each other, and this morning you're going to hear more of the same. This weekend we have focused on why Christadelphians should be separate from the world. And on Friday night we compared a couple of examples on why we should be separate from the world. And then yesterday we talked about watching and prayer, and we had Brother David talking about truth and mercy, and this morning we had our brother talking about the heart. Well, in our reading this morning, Jesus prayed in verses 15 to 17 of that chapter of John, chapter 17, where he said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now man did not invent the principle that is truth. In fact, man's contribution has been just the opposite. And this Jesus pointed out to the Jewish rulers who hated, who hated him for this reason, that he told them and the people, the Jewish people, the truth. So let's turn to John chapter 8, verses 39 to 47. Where we read John chapter 8, verses 39 to 47. Then answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth, that's the King James Version, but in the uh, revised version, the word is convicteth. Which of you convicteth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you or ye are not of God. As Christadelphians, or brethren and sisters of Christ, we should be particularly concerned about our master's views on this matter. If he is truly our master, and if we are truly followers or imitators of him, our attitudes and our outlook should be modeled upon what God has seen fit to tell us 
in scriptures for our guidance. So we should always be using these scriptures for our guidance. We have an obligation. I want to repeat that. We have an obligation to our Creator to seek out truth through the scriptures that we have been given. Now, the Apostle Paul also gives us some good, sound advice that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Now, there seems to have been a special reason for giving this advice to the to the Thessalonian brethren, brethren and the believers, because in Acts chapter 17, verses 11 to 13, we are told that when Paul and Silas came to Berea, after having had trouble with the Jews at Thessalonica, it says these at, and talking about at Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Then we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. Now this was no small matter. For those who believed Paul's message, those that embraced it and remained faithful, they will evidently receive eternal life, while those who would not even listen to Paul but chose the path which led to destruction died without hope. As Paul also finally told some of those Jewish troublemakers in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and, the, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Searching out a matter is still good advice for us in our day, not only in matters of religion, but in whatever ideas we are confronted with. We should not hastily reject new thoughts and ideas just because they are new to us, nor should we be too hastily to accept them because they are new. We need to be like the Bereans and search the matter out through the scriptures. This is especially important concerning thoughts and ideas that could affect our own future welfare. Why is this so? Because as the wise man observed in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. This thought process takes place in our minds. And what we think probably has more to do with what happens to us than most of us realize. It's not so much those superficial thoughts that come and go, but those that we hold fast, as Paul says, and store away in our hearts until they, are literally, until they literally become a part of us. These are the ones that determine the kind of person that we are, what kind of conscience we have, how we react to certain situations, and to some extent, also what happens to us. This is why the physical differences that we see in people are not as important as those inner differences that we do not see. We read about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. Let's turn to that. 
Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Then when God rejected Saul as king, he sent Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king, instructing Samuel to look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, for man looketh on the outward appearances, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But we too, when we get to know people, value them according to their inner qualities as far as we are able to judge them. Jesus also gives us a good rule to go by in Luke chapter 6, verses 44 to 45. So turn over to Luke chapter 6. Verses 44 to 45. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. All of which makes it clear that the treasure of our heart determines the kind of person we are. And why, therefore, it is so important that we be careful what kind of thoughts we allow to dwell there. For everything we say or do begins with a thought. And as I said at the Martinville Fall Gathering, a brother stated in his exhortation at the Arkansas Bible School a few years ago, he said, watch your thoughts. Your thoughts become words. Watch your words. Your words become actions. Be careful of your actions, for your actions become your habits. Be careful of your habits, for your habits become your character. Be careful of your character, for your character becomes your destiny. So the kind of thoughts that we think that we think on depends on the kind that we have stored away within us, as our brother was pointing out this morning. If they are good thoughts, they are bound to reveal themselves sooner or later in one way or another. And likewise also if they are bad thoughts. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, said Jesus, and hid that shall not be known. And so as the wise man also warned in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And then we are told in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, a brother that I heard exhorting last week mentioned another exhortation that he heard from a brother, and it had the following quote, which I thought was pretty pertinent because we were looking at Abraham and the covenants the covenant of promise that was made to Abraham. And this is what was said by this brother in an exhortation a long time ago. The kingdom of God is the institution that will minister the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. And this brother last week asked us to write that in our Bible. And so when we think about that, 
that the kingdom of God is the institution that will administer the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant, this is still to take place in the future. It hasn't taken place yet. So we still have a chance to change our ways. Well, recently, I was out in my garden a few weeks ago pulling and hoeing some weeds. They were beginning to overtake it and go to seed. And many of us here know something about keeping a garden. We sow only the good seeds and try to keep out the bad ones. We chop down the weeds when they appear, and we water and carefully encourage the good plants to grow. We know how quickly weeds can overtake when we neglect and fail to remove them. And it's rewarding and pleasant to see a well-kept garden, and especially a beautiful flower garden or a producing vegetable garden. Well, as I was working, I thought about the garden, and, and I, when I'm out in the yard, I don't know if this happens with others, but I have a lot of thoughts that come to my mind, and I think about a lot of different things, and a lot of times I'm thinking about what's in the Scriptures. So as I was working, I thought about the garden of our heart or our mind. Only here we are dealing with thoughts instead of plants. And the good seed are thoughts that are good and true, most especially those pertaining to the Word of God, while the bad seeds are the evil thoughts sown by the enemy that we must always be on guard against, lest they take root and begin to crowd out the good seed. The question raised, brothers and sisters, is are we neglecting the weeds in our minds or in our heart? We are told by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth, passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I really like that verse, and we had an elderly sister that's now dead that had done a needlepoint for us, and we have that hanging in our, our guest bedroom. And I like that verse. So no one but God and ourselves can see this into this garden of our heart. And men must judge us by our words and our deeds. So it's up to us to see that these are always of the kind that are pleasing in God's sight and bring honor and glory to him and to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul is addressing the ecclesia at Thessalonica. So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we read, Paul and Silvanius and Timotheus unto the ecclesia of the Thessalonians, which is in, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this little proposition word, in, the I-N, 
that we read in this verse brings into formation something that previously did not exist, a new relationship. Read it carefully and you'll see what I mean. It doesn't say that these members are about God the Father, nor does it say that they are for God the Father, but they are in God the Father by being baptized in to Christ. Because of what Christ Jesus has accomplished in his perfect sacrifice, they now stand firm and accomplished as members of God's household. Remember yesterday I talked about the divine family. And this is no mute point. Quite the contrary, it brings opportunities. Yes, as a consequence of this newly formed bond, two essential human needs will be met by this change in relationship. Needs that must be present for any family to succeed. Let's refer to them as security and purpose. Now, what do I mean by security? In human terms, security is that sense of confidence, reliance, and expectation that we shall not be moved or fall or fail. This is not based upon what we know of ourselves, but on what we know of the family leader. He is our source of strength, and he has declared that he will never leave nor forsake us. In turn, this allows each one of his children to act confidently with determination towards our higher endeavor. For the believers in Thessalonica, their strength was God, and their victory was his son, Christ Jesus. Unlike Israel of old, they didn't see God as some unapproachable mountain deity as Moses did and the children of Israel as they wandered in the desert where the mountain was enshrouded in darkness and smoke and fire. But rather, God was to them the image of a compassionate father, one who would hear his children's intimate cry of Abba, Father. In this newfound family relationship, they will be watched over, cherished, listened to, and assisted. Through the power of prayer, through the word of God, and the working of each member together with the spirit of Christ, they have all the basic elements required to make for a secure family life in the Lord, now and in eternity. Furthermore, they have purpose. Now, this is a slightly different term and speaks to a man's need to live a life of purpose. This is not something we can't understand. I think we can all understand it. The godly man wants to pursue a life of value both for himself and his family and out of a grateful heart to aid those significant in his life to discover what we have been so privileged to come to know. To that end, it is not to the Almighty's best interest that we simply wait around complacently and do nothing. Hope always is enlarged when augmented by our personal involvement and activity. Now, the Father's desire for us is to develop in a small way now those talents and qualities, which later he will eternally enlarge for use when the kingdom finally arrives here upon this earth. Therefore, we are not just recipients of his message. Remember again from my exhortation this year on lamps at the Arkansas Bible School. We are light reflectors and a workmanship in progress. If today we share in that present work, then tomorrow we are certain to be called for that larger work to come. Remember, personal involvement equates to character development, both in spiritual things and in temporal things. In order to let our light shine, however, 
we must have that light within us. And for this, we must turn to the Lord Jesus. For as he himself said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And again, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Well, we read in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 19, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Well, the Jews had the law of Moses that told them what they must and what they must not do in order to live. But none, with the exception of Jesus, was able to keep the law, even though some of them tried. For whatever the law said they must do, that was the very thing that they did not want to do. And when they thus disobeyed the law, their own consciences condemned them, and all became guilty before God. Righteousness through the works of the law was thus shown to be impossible for natural man. But with the coming of Jesus and his perfect obedience, even unto, unto death, a new way of righteousness was proclaimed, namely righteousness through faith. This was the good news preached by Jesus and his apostles, namely the gospel of Christ, of which the apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, which we quoted yesterday, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that new faith was now centered in the Lord Jesus and what he accomplished. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus could say. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And this, he said in John chapter 17, verse 3, is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, since it is true, as we have already seen, that what a man thinks and believes in his heart determines what he is, then it must also be true that the only way we can be changed is through a change of those innermost thoughts and beliefs of our heart. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel, or good news, was the message of Jesus and his apostles. And the meaning of repent is what? What is the meaning of repent? It means to change our behavior, our thinking, or to have another mind. Hence, what the gospel of Christ promised us was a new and a better life through a change from our old way of thinking. The old way was the thinking of the flesh that can only lead to death. The new way was Christ's way that leads to life eternal. Be not conformed to this world, wrote Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when we stop to think about it, we will see that the main reason why the true believer is different from the man of this world, it's because he thinks differently. At least he should be thinking differently. And we should be acting differently. He is governed by another mind, namely the spiritual or the Christ mind, instead of the carnal, the fleshly mind. We should be able to make some good use developing a spiritual mind in our present life 
namely what we think more or less determines what we are. Say that we have some faults we would like to get rid of or something good we would like to achieve. Well, the way to accomplish it is to begin with a change in our thinking. This, however, may not be as easy as we might think. But by prayer and faith in God and his word, it should be possible for us. For all things are possible to him that believeth, said Jesus. But the one great change we are all mainly interested in is a change from our present mortal nature to a promised spiritual nature, and thus to share in that better life that God has made possible for us through our Lord Jesus when he returns, one in which we will serve God to the fullest and manifest him completely. This is a change worthy of every effort every effort that we can possibly make and calls for faithfulness on our part unto death. After that, the rest depends on God and our Lord Jesus, who we know will never fail us if we do our best. For the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. Let's turn to that. Romans chapter 8. Verses 28 to 34. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also, or them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Our change or transformation starts when we first hear the word of God and it begins to take hold in our hearts. For it is when we begin to think as God thinks that we can see more clearly to, to discern the truth from a lie. You know, truth is truth. Truth does not change. We can't change the truth. What's in the scriptures is truth. One of my favorite verses is Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Well, at this early stage, when we first hear, we are comparable to Paul's grain of wheat in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, with the germ of a new plant within it, but which needs to be planted in suitable soil for that germ to grow into the living plant as God planned it. 
This planting in our case is accomplished when we are baptized into Christ. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Isn't that a comforting thought? That should be a comforting thought for any trials or tribulations that we might be currently going through. Well, another point that's brought out by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that in the development of the new plant, the original grain dies, yet lives again in the wonderful new plant that God has planned for it. But as Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, Without me, ye can do nothing. For only in Christ, and there's that little preposition word in again, can we grow and develop into his likeness, which fact he made very plain to us in his parable of the vine and its branches, where he said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing." Also, in and through Christ, all of God's promised blessings become available to us, including the priceless gift of immortality and a place with Christ in the coming kingdom of God. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Well, in conclusion, brothers, sisters, and friends, young people, planting and taking care of a garden, bringing forth acceptable fruit is no easy task, as any gardener can tell you. Likewise, unless a person is able to meet God's requirements, he has no valid hope of eternal life. One who is seeking truth soon realizes that man that is born of a woman is of, uh, is of a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And that's from Job chapter 14, verses 1 to 2. He realizes that man's allotted days are very short and that whatever honor, riches, and pleasures he is able to accumulate during his lifetime are of little value when seen with the prospect of an endless death. Moses and Micah both laid out God's requirements in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, and in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, for man's walk. So reading from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, we can turn to that. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 
verses 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. And then turning over to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know, at the break I was talking with Brother Lynn, and I told him, you know, what you were talking about this morning about the proud and the heart and the humble, nowhere in the Scriptures are you going to find any favorable connotation for the word proud but you will find favorable connotations for the word humble throughout the Scriptures. One of the facts which man must understand is that he must come into a covenant relationship. It is only through the right understanding and baptism that such a relationship is established. And without these, there can exist no hope of salvation. Jesus declares in John chapter 3, verses 5-7, to and this is when he was telling Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So throughout the Scriptures, man is clearly informed of the requirements for citizenship in God's kingdom. We need to be separate from the world and to hold fast, knowing that the man who follows these requirements can take heart from the promise given in the second chapter of 1 John, verse 17, where it says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And finally, for our closing reading, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we'll read verses 11 to 13. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the ecclesias. Thank you for this weekend. Appreciated everybody's hospitality.